Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl. We're back. Episode 3. 3 is the magic number, or that one time that song said. And it's, this is still happening. This podcast is still happening. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I can't believe I've committed to it this long. Say what you want about COVID-19, coronavirus, but it's forced me to do something. So this is all right. This is exciting. Uh, if you've been listening to the first episode so far and you've somehow decided that, yeah, I'm into this, I'll have, I'll have a, a, a hundred more of these. Thank you very much. It's very, very kind of you to... Uh, Share a little bit of your time with a little bit of mine. So that's very, very nice of you. After all the madness is going on in the world, we've still got the COVID is out there. We've had lockdown extended for three weeks. I hope you're all staying safe. You're still washing hands. You're still keeping that two metres away from each other. Went out earlier today to get a few bits and pieces. Um, and it's it's honestly like a slalom getting through people. You see... Old people walking around and about, as is their right to do so, and you kind of think, I mean, you're on borrowed time here. This is this is tempting fate. What are you doing? Some of the shops that are still open as well, the, a, a chippy, a fish and chip place was still open on my street. Definitely not essential. Did I go in and get a battered sausage and chips? Yes, I did. I don't regret it. I don't regret that it happened. I'll do it again. These... These are the kind of people that we become in this uh, coronavirus world. This is life as we know it. This is the new normal. Um, you know, having to tiptoe towards a battered sausage and hoping that you don't die because of it. If that's the way I'm going to go out, then that's the way that it's going to be. If you're listening on the YouTube channel, uh, thank you for listening and taking a minute to share uh, feel free to give the video a like, subscribe to the channel if you feel so inclined. It's very generous of you. Thank you very much for that. It helps the channel grow and helps us progress on our journey to true Cage Nirvana, as is the challenge, as is the task. And on the next step of that journey, finally, we move out of 1983 to 1984, because that's the year that came after it, and we go to... Racing with the Moon, the third Nicolas Cage film on the Odyssey. Released in March of 1984, about good old uh, 30-odd years ago, maybe even 40 now, I think we're pushing 40 years. Directed by Richard Benjamin, Richard Benjamin, and released by Paramount Pictures. It comes with a heady three-way lineup of acting talent. We've got Sean Penn, we've got Elizabeth McGovern, and of course, it's only bloody Nicolas Cage. He's in it as well. He's a bloody he's a good old supporting actor in this one. And we'll get to that because there's a uh, a lot of Cage joy to come from this one. As opposed to last week, you know, we had bits and pieces of Cage here and there. We had to separate the wheat from the chaff, the wheat from the the chaff. That and by chaff I mean any actor that's not Nicolas Cage. So we had to you know stretch a little bit, but we made it. But now we've got plenty more cage substance to work with in Racing with the Moon. The premise of this film, uh, Nicolas Cage and Sean Penn are two friends in their late teens in a 
17 years of age in the year 1942, and we joined them six weeks before they were drafted to the US Naval Service in the midst of World War II, and all the life and all the things and all the events that they want to cram into those six weeks, make the most of it before their lives change forever. And ours will change as well with a new Nicolas Cage film. So, much better than last week's film, I thought. I um, You, you think Nicolas Cage is putting a, a romantic comedy, a, a, well, a more a romantic drama with some comedy aspects, and you better believe that Cage is bringing that, that fire. He's bringing that heat. There are shots being fired. There's sing-songs. Uh, there's drunk scenes. We get a few little screams here and there that really makes it, grabs your attention. You think, <laughs> all right, then 1984 business is really starting to pick up here. But going into the movie, we start with a young Sean Penn. Uh, now, they're joined again from 1983 from Sean Penn's uh, film, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Complete Opposite ends of the spectrum, these two characters, not a stoner. And more importantly, Nicolas Cage is not going by Nicolas Coppola, it's going by Nicolas Cage. That's what we come for. They're joined again here at this film. Um, now we start with Henry walking down the train track, and he's got these two little kids that are looking at him, and they're wearing dungarees. So you know that these kids are bad news. Now if it was me, I'd say, listen here, you rapscallion ne'er-do-well dungaree boys. Be gone from the train tracks. This is no place for a boy. Either that or there would have been a swift karate chop to the neck delivered back to the parents and said, look, you got to sort this out. But they're all right. They're just putting pennies down on the tracks. Uh, I don't know if people do that here. I don't know if that's dangerous. Could a, could a train derail from that? Is that a thing? In here, in this film, it's just, just pennies get flattened. So effectively, it's a cheaper way than if you go to Blackpool and you put a penny in that machine and you twizzle it around and it... Comes out in an oval shape with a Blackpool Tower printed on it. Um, I don't know whoever thought penny pressing was a good idea. It's not the bloody 30s anymore. But it is 1942 here. See that? Little segue, what I did there. Now, we're in Point Muir, or Moyer, M-U-I-R. I think it's Muir. Muir in California, eh? Just like in all those Red Hot Chili Peppers songs. We get Sean Penn, Henry... He's taking piano lessons. He gets a few little keys wrong. And then when his instructor goes to move his hands around, his dog growls. And immediately, from my notes here, when that dog growled, I, my first thoughts were, this dog is one of the greatest actors I've ever seen. Like, it wasn't an aggressive growl. It was just a little... <clears throat> kind of growl. And you knew exactly what that dog was thinking. Like, he's not happy with the music progression. He's not happy with the instructor, you know, taking this stance with Sean Penn. And he can really get a read for the emotions. And I think, if anything, that dog actor didn't get nearly enough screen time. Uh, there's another dog a little bit later on who's also brilliant. And we'll get to him in a second. Now, he's supposed to be playing um, some old, only timey song on the piano. He's not interested in it, though. Then he gets into some busting honky-tonk, and rather than his instructor be like, look, we've been through this, what are you doing? The instructor just grabs his coat and leaves. Uh, Henry's mum just grabs a tea towel, starts whipping him with it, says it's because he's an only child. As someone who's not an only child, I don't know if this is true. If you are an only child, 
Are you drawn to honky-tonk on the piano? If you could let me know, answers on a postcard. That'd be really interesting to find out. So Henry gets out as well. He's off to work. Sees another dog. Now, he could have just gone round the side of this person's house. Instead, he's jumped over the fence, ran past this dog, jumped over another fence. He's like, hey, you're getting old, boy. And the dog goes, and I've got the quote here, bark. Amazing. I knew instantly when watching this film, that was a dog, not someone in CGI like that Harrison Ford film that came out uh, not too long ago, whatever that's called, Han Solo with Dog in Woods, do some river rafting. That was a CGI man doing a dog. Why? Why are we not employing hounds anymore to act in films? What's happened, Hollywood? What happened? It wasn't us, the consumer, that changed. It was you that changed. We still want animals in our films. Ethically treated and looked after animals, of course, not uh, circus animals. Or animals in cages, you know, let them go. Give them homes, put them back in the woods. A bit of a laugh uh, to put a bear back in the woods. But not the ones that like the Carol Baskins ones in cages. When they've been raised in captivity and they'll probably die if they're ever released. Because um, that... If you're just going for like a stroll in the woods and you just see like tender tigers, then you don't recover from that. That's a lot of lost sleep. Do you know what I mean? Now, what you're not going to lose sleep about is that at 6 minutes, 30 seconds, we have... Oh, you guessed it, our first cage sighting. Oh. Oh, God, we needed it. I wanted it. And I got it. Now, Henry and Cage, uh, his character, Nicky, Henry and Nicky, they work at a bowling alley. Now, these days, you throw a bowling ball down the lane, you hit some pins. Usually, hopefully, you hit some pins. And you're doing better than me if you hit pins. And then the little wires pull them back up. Back in these days, it was Nicholas Cage who was putting the pins back in the machine and slotting them back up. Cage was the man who kept the bowling alleys running. Did you know that? Did you know it was Nicolas Cage behind there, behind the machines? Oh, I didn't know that. Brand new respect for Nicolas Cage. When I'm throwing some sweet some sweet balls down the lanes, when I'm lobbing balls left, right and Chelsea, I know what's going on behind the scenes. I know the history of the bowling circuit now. And I think we should all have a new respect for our cage overlord. Now, they're talking. Um, I was listening to the talking, but Cage was wearing this vest. He had this strap. And let me tell you, 1984 Cage... Yeah, the, the light hitting him just right. It looked like it maybe slightly old. His arms were looking good. It draws the eye. I'm not going to lie. It draws the eye a little bit. Cage is looking real good here. They're talking about going on a date. Cage is swing, uh, swigging from a flask. He's, you know, this is real hog-raising scenery. And he's only been on the screen for a minute. A minute at most. And the hog's already fluttering. Like, you know, like the, the heartbeat of a blue tip. It's feeling something. Now, they're talking about going on a double date. He's going to take Sally. They're probably going to go to the movies. Now that Henry's thinking about, oh, I don't know what, I don't know. He's got some choices. He's not a player. He doesn't play the field. He's just, I think the 50s were just that time you saw a woman. Well, this is what I've gathered from TV and shows like Mad Men. Apparently, you just saw a woman and, and then... Uh, she became your wife and she didn't really have a choice about it. <laughs> Classic 50s America. That's just the way it was. 
He doesn't know what to do. They're talking about women. There's lots of different things going on. What are you supposed to do? Now, whilst this is going on, Sean Penn's trying to put the pins in as well. He's trying to match Cage, like pin for pin. Making a hard go of it because you've got some rich chode boy in a Colton Banks-like sweeper. Uh, sweeper? A sweater. A Colton Banks-like sweater. He keeps rolling the balls at Henry. He's trying to take his shins out. Now, if anyone anyway, know anything about human biology, you need shins. Shins are, help support you from the, from the ground base up. Henry, not a fan of this. He's giving fair warning. He gives him fair warning. Then he has enough. Leaps the barricade. Hits this guy in the face. Now, unfortunately, in the ensuing chaos, this does mean that a little bit of blood is sprayed on uh, his girlfriend, who he's with. And instead of Nicolas Cage breaking up the fight, what he does is he goes to the girl, tries to mop the blood off her dress. Uh, but I couldn't help but notice that he definitely copped a feel. I know what I saw. Now, are we blaming Nicolas Cage for this? Some people might say, you know... I, I don't know if that was in the script. I counter. It also wasn't in the script. But Nicolas Cage is so method and so in the moment that sometimes he just goes with his base primal instincts. Indefensible, some might say, and I'll probably agree with you, but you know, when that camera's rolling, you've gotta you've gotta get that scene in the can. You've gotta get that scene in the can. Cage makes it clear in his six weeks he's only thinking about girls. Um, he's only thinking about, and he, his exact quote is, hiking up skirts for the next six weeks until his future is nothing but Germans and the Japanese. Now, they end up getting Henry on a date with a girl called Annie, and let me tell you, a she is a dete. Henry offers to go for some ice cream, but Annie, that's not her bag, although she does offer him, and I quote, a free go on the merry-go-round. Now I think that's 50s jive for the sex. Sex. Raw dogging. Yeah, exactly. You with me. Speaking of raw dogging, whilst Henry's trying to get this going with Annie, Cage and Sally, Henry and Sally, this is what happens when Kate, you just confuse character names. I could stick to character names. I could stick to actor names. They're interchangeable. And sometimes I get them mixed up because I've got Cage on the mind. Now, Cage's character, Nicky, that's what I meant to say. Uh, he drives off with Sally. The assumption is, if the last two films are anything to go by, is raw dogging. Raw dogging, pure, absolute, unadulterated cage-fied. It's an in-and-out job. We're three films in and he's absolutely 100% raw-dogged in three of them. I assume it's going to happen next week. Even in the films of a more child-friendly nature, there's probably opportunity for him to do so. So later, Henry's walking his dog. I believe the dog is called... Uh, it's either Argus or Augustus or August. I'm certain... They said three different names for this dog, so I'm not actually sure what the dog's called. Although it did have this cool leather cap on with these, like, flying goggles. Uh, it said it was a Christmas gift. If you can find the small equivalent, I'm going to put that on my cap, because I think it'll be really funny. Now, he meets her at the point. Sally seems a little bit off. Later on, he's asking Nikki how their night went. 
Nikki says, oh, you know, I think Sally got a little bit spooked. Now, whilst this is going on, Henry can't help but see across from the diner, there's a girl who works at the uh, the reception desk of the cinema. You only seem to get these in America when you get the ticket from the outside, uh, like on the actual street and not like a foyer bit. He's seen her. She's caught her right. He's dropped off some flowers from her. He's employed a boy to tactically, tactically, tactfully and tactically give her the flower as well. Eventually she comes over to the diner and he, in a fit of ingenuity, hops over the counter of the diner, pretends to work there, panics when she asks for a slice of pie and he just gives her the whole thing. She says, can I get a slice of pie? He says, yes. She says, what kind of pie do you have? He says, um, brown pie, which is, nowadays, you've just offered that woman poop. I have no reason to believe that the pie wasn't poop. But, as far as we know, Caddy enjoyed it. Spoilers, Caddy's her name, by the way. She seemed to enjoy it. There was also a scene here before Caddy walks into the diner where... Nikki is saying, after hearing a sort of Christmas-themed jingle on the radio, how he hates his aunt because she had a mistletoe hat on. She'd always go around kissing the family. She had cow lips, and because his entire family is dead, he hates her and has a theory that her kissing killed his family. He's even more angry that she's still alive. That's just a thing that he says. I don't think as part of character development, this is. I don't even know if it's development. It's just he's a bit different, isn't he? He's quite into this killing malarkey. He's looking forward to killing the Japs, as he often refers to in the film, and he wants his aunt dead. There's probably a bit of sociopathic energy going on under there that's really untouched, to be honest. Speaking of that energy, Caddy then leaves, gets a bus. Sean Penn pursues the bus jumps on the back of it and then just rides the bus for an indeterminate amount of time to follow Caddy home. Now, I will stress, in this day and age, that's not okay. Because one, I don't know how you're going to get a grip on the back of an Arriva bus. You'll have a mouth full of petrol fumes. How is that helping anyone when you've got lungs full of duttiness? Dutty, dutty lungs. He follows her home. Now, somehow, Nicolas Cage... Nikki has followed Henry following Caddy. Uh, we don't know how this has happened. Apparently he got in the car straight away afterwards and followed suit. But they're all together. They see that she lives in this very big house. And they assume, therefore, that she's a rich girl. She's a rich girl. Because she lives in a bad house. Cage describes her as a Gatsby. Because she must be a rich girl. And they assume, well, well, she's out of Henry's Lee because she's got the dollar-dollar bills, y'all. And they just leave away. Now, next we see Henry working with his dad. He's dad's grave diver. Grave diver. This is what happens when you don't bring fluids with you and you try to record everything in one take. Will I learn? Probably. Probably not, though. Because that means pausing and losing my flow. Because I'm a consummate professional. We get this in one. All this, I edit out a few bits, but you get this in one take because I want it raw. I want you to know the raw emotions, just like a caged dog. So his dad's a grave digger. 
he asks Henry when he leaves to write letters for his mother so that she's not upset about anything. He says he'll do it. A bit later, Henry's on the old binoculars. He spots the cinema girl going to the library. As he's going into the library, an old man, a character we've never met before and we're not going to meet again in this film, comes out and hits him with a cane for no reason. All we know that he's a kooky old man. He just references taking the cane away from him. And rightfully so. That old man needs to be drafted, if not put down. So he introduces himself in the library. He knocks over the religion section. I think there's a little little slow dig at the old religion. Take that, J. Christ, if you're watching, if you're listening. Died for, died for my sins. Well, I, give me a job, you bastard. Please. So we finally find out that at this point her name is Caddy. She is speaking to her friend Gretchen. They're talking about going on a blind date together. They introduce properly when Henry comes in. She says, I'm Caddy, I'm Henry. And she sets up Henry on a date with her friend Gretchen to go roller skating on Christmas Eve. Roller skating on Christmas Eve. Sacrilege. You don't do that. Christmas Eve, you're looking at the presents. You're eyeing them up. You're giving them a little shake. Is it an Xbox or is it a pair of socks? I don't know, but I've been fooled by that before and you won't fool me again. Bitches. So they go roller skating. Henry is all dressed up to the nines. He's got a little suit and bow tie combo going on. Couldn't help but notice that the young Sean Penn in this attire looked like Slappy the Doll from Goosebumps. And five Daryl points to you if you get that reference, that visual reference. A couple of great episodes of uh, Goosebumps, the old 90s children's classic, which gave us the acting debut of a young Ryan Gosling, no less, as well. Let me tell you, Henry, he cannot roller skate. It's like Bambi on ice. He ends up in this line of people roller skating, left all around in this circle, this increasing line of humans. He asks to get let go a number of times. Do they let him go? Do they heck? Until finally, he does get let go, and he gets yeeted outside the rink, like Frank Spencer, doing a bit in Some Mothers Do Have Them. Oh, Caddy. Oh, Caddy. I've, I've done a whoopsie, Caddy. I've done a whoopsie. Oh, I've, I've killed that boy again, Caddy. No, the... It all works out for the favour. This is how he starts talking to Caddy. They um, get to chatting. He tells Sarah about his dad's work. Says he keeps the graveyard all nice. And she's like, you know, one day you're going to have to take me to the graveyard. And this is how little did you know it at the time. But in the 50s, the goth movement started. Now, Nicky, they're at the pool table. They're playing a few rounds of the old pool the old snooker but not snooker with the numbers. You know the one. His arms are out again. I had to pause the film at this point. I was like, let's take a note. Cage arms. Looking real good. G-U-D good. Capital. Nikki reaffirms that Caddy's a Gatsby girl. And that Henry is, and I quote, barking up the wrong pair of gams. Now, I wasn't sure if gam meant gammon. Or gams as in legs. Gam legs. I'm assuming it's legs. I wasn't around in the 50s. I was born in 91. I don't get the lingo. 
when will Cage stop doing these period pieces that confuse me? It makes me sad that I don't understand what a gam is. It makes me feel out the loop. I can barely understand TikTok. Bring back Vine. Six seconds was enough. That's what my wife tells me anyway. So, Nicky's not going to be a sap to no skirt, and if anything, and from what he says here, he's very much looking forward to just killing the Japs and not returning to, well, I don't know if it's America, but not returning to Point Mare, near Point. He's very up for murder in the name of the American way of life. What else has changed over there, right? Right. Henry, though, he just wants a sweetheart. There's nothing wrong with that. Just a little photo to have in your wallet to look at in the hard times. It's all very sweet. He's got good intentions. He doesn't want to toy around with people's hearts. He wants a deeper connection. And that's fine. Good on you, Henry. Good on you. Now, later, Henry does take Kelly to a dilapidated tap room. He plays some piano for her somewhere beyond the scene. You know, you know the one. You know the one. You know the one, right? Caddy's into it for a bit. And then you think there's a moment where they're going to get freaky on the keys. And she's out of there. Doesn't need it. But then later, later, there's a lot of laters in here. We're skipping through time. Although, up to this point, I think they've known each other maybe three days. They go for a walk in the woods. He's going to show this secret pond that him and Nikki know about, and they find an arrow that Nikki left to a nearby pond. He's like, hey, Nikki left it. Nikki left this arrow here to tell us where to go. We just follow the arrow. But the arrow, as opposed to any useful direction, is pointing straight up, which accurately is the same direction that Nicolas Cage's career would take. Straight up. Then they go for a dip in the pond. They share a kiss. A bra comes out. There's a peak of breast because it's a Nicolas Cage film. You've got to keep it on the level. Got to have a little bit of breast. You know what I'm saying? And then they assumedly have a little raw dog on the side of the pond. They've known each other for, again, three days. Already banging on the side of a pond. This is, from what I googled, classic the 50s. Absolute classic 50s. Henry's going over this uh, in some minor, minor details with Nikki the next day. They're on a rooftop. Why? Why wouldn't he be on a rooftop in the 50s? Nikki, more importantly, says he wants a tattoo. Not just any tattoo, though. He wants the most American tattoo you can get. He wants a motherfucking eagle tattooed on his chest. The American eagle over a pure American heart. Why? Because it will intimidate the Japs. So... If you're listening, 1942 Japanese soldiers, Cage has got your number, you mother effer. We're about 15 minutes in now. Cage is in another drunk scene. These are the kind of scenes we like to see. He does a weird dance. He does this strange dance like he's... The only way I can describe it is like he's slipping on ice. But at the same time, whilst he's slipping on the ice, he's also trying to fuck that ice. There's a lot, you know, legs tapping away, there's some slight little hip thrusts, and then he shouts, Wowie! As he's doing this. Wowie! 
Um, and then they go to a tattoo parlour. You know, so far, just accept what's happening there. Now, he's gone in this tattoo parlour. He knows what he wants. He wants the high-flying red, white and blue bird of freedom on his chest. But the, if anything, far too tolerable tattoo parlour owner says he's not going to do that. He asks him how much money they've got between them. It's about a dollar thirty-five, And he says, at best, you can have a sparrow on your elbow. I mean, you know, maybe not American. Maybe a little more Canadian than anything. And he's not into it. You've come for an eagle. You're offered a sparrow. That's not how business works. Nicolas Cage here does... We get some slight shit losing as well. It's about maybe a 3 out of 10 of what he's capable of in the later films. But he makes this weird bahur noise. When he's told he can't have the tattoo, there's a bit of a standoff, and he goes, um, I don't know what that noise was either, but then the then the scene, then it cuts to the next scene, when we've moved on, and they're a little later in the night, they're walking down a train track, and they decide to race the steam train. Uh, now again, this is a cage idea, you wouldn't get this from Penn. They've got a steam train hurtling towards them at the speed of a steam train, which is miles per hour. And he says, let's race it. Let's race it. Let's race it. And if you're on that that track with Nicolas Cage and he's telling you to race that train, are you going to tell him no? Now, what I should imply here as well and explain that it's not so much racing a train more as just running headfirst at the train and then dodging out the way at the last possible second without getting totaled by it. Um, like in the same, like, ding, that clunking noise when you die in GTA and it says you wasted, don't let that happen. And then you run to the side of the train, you grab onto a bit of ladder and you just ride the train for a bit. Um, which in a weird, stupid guy way seems like, seems like so much fun. But you just wouldn't get this with Northern Rail, where I live. Why? Because you bet it's on strike, and you bet it wouldn't fucking turn up. So, no one gets to race the train now. No one gets to race the train. Thanks, Northern Rail. Well done. Yet again, you've ruined it for everyone. Now, after they've raced the train, they go back onto the tracks, and Nicky reveals that his raw dogging got Sally pregnant. Oh, dear. I mean, we're only three films in. It had to happen at some point. Cage's method, he doesn't use protection. That is his want to do. I'm not saying I approve. I always say, wrap your hog in a nice bun before you're going to apply some mustard sauce, if you know what I'm saying. This isn't the way he does business. But they need, specifically, $154 to go through with the abortion. So they argue a bit. Nicky says the only difference between him and Henry is that Henry got lucky. I don't know what he means by that. If he means you didn't have unprotected sex, then sure. Being lucky is not a bad thing. It's good. Wrap it up. If you learn, if you take nothing else from this podcast, wrap yourself up. And eventually they agree that they're going to try and get the money together so they can pay for Sally's abortion. Now again, sometime on, a few days later, they are 
outside of a town hall, they're carrying out some war drills where they're pretending to carry the injured on stretchers so they can get a feel for how to do it when it comes to the real thing. Cage is carried past. They're trying to make their way to the vinyl plane where they're playing out all the war sounds, all the air sirens and the guns and the bombs and the explosions. As he's being carried, he slaps not one, but two nurses behinds en route to the record speaker system. Cage sees an opportunity. Again, you know it wasn't in the script, but Nicholas Cage sees an opportunity and he's going to take it. It starts here. This sexual energy is going to turn itself into pure madness and rage. It's what we're here for. And they get to the vinyl system. They put on a different record, which seems to be some a bit of a much more of a swinging song, some swingy doo-wop. And then everyone who was doing the drills just starts coordinated dancing. I don't know either. Apparently, I didn't realise I was watching High School Musical. Everyone just starts dancing. Completely forgotten that some people are supposed to be dead. In theory, uh, Nicholas Cage does a, a running, jumping motion away from this. He hoops and he hollers. Again, it's something like, oh, oh, because he doesn't do subtle. You don't come to this for subtle. I don't come to this for subtle. This is what I want. I want him to draw my eye. I don't want to know that there's a story going on. I don't want to know that there are other actors on the screen. Not interested in anyone else that made this film, if Nicolas Cage wants to come up to the camera and take a piss on it, and that's aimed at me as the viewer, I'll buy that ticket every time. Now, Henry and Caddie, they take some books a little later on to a local hospital. Specifically, they end up going to a ward of war casualties and amputees. Now, this freaks Henry out a little bit. He meets a guy called Frank, who's only 22, and he tells him about his injury. He lost part of his leg and how he's got some phantom limb syndromes. The idea that if you lose a limb, you can still you still have a sensation that it's there, even though it isn't. Sometimes it feels like it's itchy, the area where that's missing. And this seems to really get into Henry's head. Him and Caddy talk about this a little later on, what's going on. He did pull a prank on Caddy earlier, where he pretended to be bleeding with all the war... Uh, stretching paraphernalia on, who pretends to be bleeding out the mouth. She doesn't like the joke. She shouldn't really be joking about blood. Um, and it's implied that she took him to that ward specifically because she was annoyed at him, which is, you know, if we're talking about return volleys, that's a big send. That's a big send. Right, you've played a little off-colour joke to me, so I'm going to show you what people look like. You do what you do and go to war. All right? I mean, Caddy... I understand where you're coming from. You didn't have to go that hard. You didn't have to go that hard. So, after this, after they've calmed down a little bit, we go back to the bowling alley, and at one hour and six minutes in, Nick Cage, with broom handle in hand, is singing, he's swinging a song called Tangerine at the bowling alley. Let me tell you, as far as scenes of this film go so far, this one was absolutely stunning. Wonderful singing. My trousers had dropped of their own accord. I didn't even touch them. It was like... It was like witnessing art. You know, sometimes you go to an art gallery and you look at the painting and then you just click. It's like that, but without the five-minute staring. You just get it. 
You just get it and your trousers are down. You've not unbuttoned yourself. How did your trousers get down? You were wearing two belts. You were wearing two belts that were fastened real tight. They're a notch tighter than they usually are, but they've come down. You don't know how it's happened. He's also dancing. It's like Elvis dancing, you know, a lot in the hip area, but it's like Elvis being attacked by wasps. And I'm just saying, if I saw that in Strictly Come Dancing... I would be telling everyone how breathtaking it was. I'd be whooping and hollering, stamping my feet and cheering because it's some of the most charismatic and jivey movements I've ever seen. And I'm dancing like it right now. Maybe you can get it in the rhythm of my voice. I implore you, you know, just go to just go to an hour six in that film. And just listen to him sing, watch him dance. This is how lullabies to your children should be conveyed. None of this twinkle twinkle, more like tangerine, but you're just strutting your stuff because you've got to raise the kids right. Henry and Caddy later on, they're throwing some stones at each other for fun because we've all been there. They go to a shoe place. She sees these $25 blue shoes, but she's like, oh, you know, you can't just spend money on things if, if you just want something. But Henry makes a joke about her wealth. He's like, hey, you, you could... I think that was supposed to be a Sean Penn accent, but he's very... He has these different bursts of energy throughout the film. It's Usually he looks very downtrodden and sad, and he's got these weird moments where he's all up, upbeat and stuff, and you never know where he's going emotionally in that film. Nicolas Cage is an open book. You know exactly what's coming, and that's why we appreciate him. You know what you're getting. When you look at a menu for a, a Chinese for food, and you look at, you know all 150 options, but you go back to the beef chow mein. That's Nicholas Cage. That's what Nicholas Cage is, his comfort. His beefy chow mein comfort. Caddy has a chat with Gretchen afterwards. She's catching the old feelings for our Heather, for our Henry. Uh-oh. You've known each other for a week. Okay, I get that he's being deployed in a few weeks, but this is moving a little fast. All... He's, he's raw dogged you on the side of a pond, and now you're catching some of the old female McGee's. But you do you. I'm not here to judge, except for the parts where I do judge. Because I'm an unreliable narrator, and I won't change. Now, at the bowling alley, Sally comes to visit Nicky. Uh, Nicky's like, hey, you shouldn't really visit me here, it's at work. And then he walks past Caddy, who's noticed some of this, and is like, <laughs> women, eh? With their pregnancies. And I mean men. Am I right? Uh, what are they like? Now, Henry at this point uh, tells Nicky that he will pay for the abortion, that they're going to come together and make this happen. So what they do next is they go to take Henry's pool skills, they go to a local pool place, and they're looking to try and hustle some of the Navy officers. Cage is getting in their head. He's luring them into this game. He's saying, I hear uh, being at sea makes you lose your balance. He's like, no, it doesn't. My balance is fine. Then he enlists Henry to take the pool games. He's that mouthpiece. He's the hype man. And that's what you want when you're going into these big dollar-dollar bill games for abortion money. And they start for $5, eventually work their way up to $150 of cold, hard cage cash, which is up for grabs. And you get a little music montage of the pool game. You get... Some jazzy stuff as the talents of rack again, the pot and balls, the calling corners. This goes on for about ten minutes, this 
this scene. It's, it, it goes on quite long. It's made worthwhile because you get in that pure, unadulterated cage. He's cheering on. He's sweating. I'm sweating. You as the listener are sweating, especially when it comes down to the last two points. Cage is already hyping this up, and he says to Henry, you know, what's going on? He says, I don't have the shot, but I'm going to make sure Navy Boy doesn't have the shot either. So you think, all right, you've snookered him. I don't know if that's the same term in pool. Is it you, you've pulled him. You've carpooled him. You've done a shit in the pool. So he stops the shot. You think there's no way he can go from here, but the sailor... Hits this lob shot, knocks him in the corner. They win. An absolute calamity. You thought Cage had this one in the bag. And then they say, well, we're going to count the cash. You know, we trust you boys. We're not implying that you're, you're bad people. But you never know. You never know. So they count the cash. And it's a little bit light. It's looking like Monopoly money. And the sailors, they're not happy about this. Cage tries to duck out the fire exit. The fire exit's locked. That's health and safety code that needs addressing. What if something had happened? What if Nicolas Cage had burst into a flame off? A heaping flame ball of fire. No one was getting out of the fire exit. So they just about duck a rumble. You know, I was all in on seeing Cage take out four Navy officers. Sean Penn would have been there to help as well. But they duck out the rumble, escape in the car as Cage screams. But unfortunately, they have zero abortion money. Um, I say that like it's like abortion money money is a, a thing that you save up for. Um, it was a di- it was a different time. They get back to Henry's house. Nikki shouts about needing the money. Caddy's there. She's now aware of the situation. Like, well, you're rich, and he goes all in. Henry does not like this. He doesn't like the fact that he's brought Caddy into this. She didn't need to know, and he asks her tearfully. He's like, you know, in my family. We've been raised not to ask for things. I hate to ask you, but I know you've got money. You'll get it all back. Can you help out? And she says, all right, I'll see what I can do. Now, what we see next is Caddy going back to her house and she goes to steal the pearl necklace of a character called April, who we met earlier in the film. Now, what it turns out is that Caddy not actually rich. She lives in a big house because her mother is the maid there for a wealthy family, and that's why she lives in-house with them. April, who's uh, the respectful woman of the house, owns this pearl necklace. She and Caddy have a nice relationship. She goes to steal the pearl necklace, but April catches her with the pearls, and then Caddy has to explain the situation. And April, um, you know, more power to her. She says, yeah, I'll get you the money. So, all turned out quite... Quite simple, we went through a ten minute pool hustle for nothing, just because a, a generous, rich lady um, is going to front us some abortion cash. So that's good. Thank you, April. You've made everyone's lives you know, a bit more easy, given the situation. They take Sally to the abortion clinic a little later on. Now, Sally doesn't want Nikki with her. Caddy goes in with her. Henry goes in as well, because... You know, Caddy and Henry, these are the kind of people that they are. They're good-hearted people at the end of all of it. Cage stays outside. He takes a drink because he can't deal with it. But he'll grow. 
And he'll grow as a character. He'll grow as a human being. So they drop Sally off. Caddy gets angry in the car. Demands the car stop. She bursts out of the car. She goes to leave. Henry goes after her. And she gets mad. She says to him, Look, you need to know I'm not rich. My mother's a maid at that house. That's why I live there. I've been trying to tell you so many times, but you just won't listen to me. And she gets so mad that she she says, you know, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with this. Henry, in turn, takes this out on Nicky. He blames Nicky for this. He's blaming Nicolas Cage for this, which, you know, we've all got to take a step back here. Tensions are rising. We're all a little bit angry. You know, there's no need to point fingers or accuse, but Henry's adamant that this is Nicky's fault. He says because he's mixed Caddy up in this, he's sick of Nicky messing up his life, and he's more so annoyed that when they took Sally home, he couldn't even get out the car and open the car door for her. And he's done. Doesn't want to see him again. And so, our, you know, our two, our two boys, our two lads, there are odds. It's come to this head. They're supposed to be going to the war in a week. And now they're not even on talking terms anymore. This is this is serious stuff. This is tragic. Now we move on a few weeks, maybe about a week, maybe two weeks, and we get to February. Henry is helping his dad at the graveyard. His dad tells him a story that when Nicky's mother passed away, he used to visit her grave every day after school until he got so tired that Henry's dad would have to pick him up and take him back home. Henry never knew this, but Henry's dad says, look, I think you two need each other now more than you ever have before. The father's advice, putting our lads on the right path, addressing the status quo back where it needs to be. So Henry does take that advice. He goes to meet Nicky at the bowling alley. Nicky says that he did see Sally. Uh, she said that she's okay. And she's told him to take care of himself. And Henry says that now more than ever, they need to stick together. And they agree. Afterwards, Henry leaves a letter for Caddy outside her house. It's a map, giving us some instructions of where to go. So she follows the map along. And she finds a box by a tree. She opens the box and what's inside? It's the $25 blue shoes from earlier. Now, we don't know where he got this money from. Assumedly, he's gone back and, I don't know, killed the man that works in the shoe store. Because that actor uh, who worked in the shoe store, I think his name was like Laszlo or something. Um, when he was on screen, you knew like he didn't have many lines and he was making the most of them. Uh, Italian shoemaker. You look good in this shoes. Uh, this shoes. And you knew he was making his lines count. And you know after that he never got hired for another film again. So he's probably killed him. Uh, Like actually put him in a headlock. Cage is taking care of the body because that's just what he does. He's a good person off screen. And they've taken those shoes. So she's got the shoes now. And he says, are you going to try them on? It's like, no, because I know that they fit. You know, none of this Cinderella nonsense None of this Cinderella glass slipper trying that on nonsense. She just knows. And finally, we've been working towards this all film. Henry tells Caddy. And Caddy tells Henry in turn. I love you. All very nice. It's all very sweet. It felt like we got here in a very 
natural way. It didn't feel too forced, um, even though this is only the course of six weeks and love just moved at a quicker pace back then. And they share a hug. They share a kiss. It's all very nice. So the final scene. It's finally the big day for our lads to get shipped off to the old war. Caddy gives Henry a picture for his wallet. He's got the sweetheart. He's got the black and white picture. Saucy. A bit of bit of collarbone. A bit of ankle for the lads when you're out at sea. Lovely. Uh, now the train leaves. And Henry is stood there. Nicky is stood there. Henry's parents are like... Guys, your train to go to war has literally left. What are you doing? But then they look at each other, and one last time, they race the train. I mean, again, it wasn't necessary for them to do that at all. They could have just got on the train. I don't think anyone would have blamed them. If anything, you've made it much more difficult for yourselves. Like, what if your commanding officer's on that train and he sees these two layabouts? He thinks, fuck's sake, got these two lunatics on my platoon. If you've been on the Navy and you've ran after trains, what does your commanding officer say? Answers on a postcard? A police. I'd love to know. They make the train. They've raced it one last time. They've caught the train. They're holding on to either side and they're smiling at each other because they've made it. Our boys have made it. And they're off to go and kill some Japs. Screen fades. We get the credits. End of the film. Uh, you know, we don't we don't find out what happens to him in the war. We, we don't know if they have a, a prosperous, a good war. Um, if you can have such a thing, if they make it back. We just open-ended that they're back on good terms. That Henry's found the love of his life. And we've got to the end in a, a very lovely and fitting way. I have to assume... In terms of the ending, that uh, Nicolas Cage just sorted the war out. Uh, he got there, had a little chat with all the Germans and, the, and the, the Japanese forces, slapped some Nazis along the way, and then that's how the war ended. I mean, sure, you can look at the history books and tell me that I'm wrong, but I'm, I can tell you that I'm not. I'm not wrong. And so me rewriting World War Two is how... How we come to the end of 1984's Race with the Moon. If I'm going to say one thing about the film, the moon itself wasn't in the film once. They didn't race the actual moon. I was hoping the moon would come down, maybe drive the train. Um, Nicolas Cage would fuck the moon, raw dog the moon. Um, unfortunately, didn't happen. No moons at all, but it is what it is. Uh, overall, I thought it was quite a nice film. It was quite a sweet film. Uh, Sean Penn, in particular, uh, you get a side to him that is complete opposite of a film like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He's quite relaxed. He's very confident on screen. He's got like the rough exterior but with a soft inside and a bit of a sensitivity played with him. Nicolas Cage. It's a pleasure to watch him work. It always is. It's going to be a pleasure to watch him work for a hundred more films. Of course it's going to be a pleasure to watch him work for 100 more films. If we're getting some a bit of pieces of shouting now, we've got him a slight tidbit on the Cage Rage scale. We missed it last week, but we're back on force here. It's wonderful. Uh, McGovern as well, really good. Uh, was really warming as uh, Caddy. Everyone, all the three main leads were lovely to watch. It was a very nice. It's a, you know, a movie filled with a lot of tenderness. There's a lot of importance on first love here. Um, you know, often 
you get these uh, romance movies that they just want to try and get to the point where the characters say I love you and it's all a bit ugh, it's a bit forced, it's a bit whatever but we get there in a natural and organic way and it's all all ends on quite a nice note so um, overall for me I would probably give it a 6, 6.5 out of 10 as a Nicolas Cage film of course 10 out of 10 and for me another bronze cage you know we're not we're not seeing his silver work just yet we're not seeing the gold work just yet but the 80s we're starting slow we're building up momentum it's all looking very promising and I can't wait to see where the journey to cage nirvana takes us next what did we learn from the film I don't know if it's so much bros before hoes because when you get in the fifth, like a fifties abortion involved, and that that rule kind of goes out the window a bit. So just re- have safe sex and stay indoors. If you're gonna do it, wrap it up. Take the right protections. No one's got hundred and fifty dollars these days. It's probably more now because how money and time works. Um, God bless the NHS. And I think that's a fitting way to end episode three, Racing with the Moon. So that just leaves me to do the little bit of admin at the end. You can follow the show, uh, Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast on Instagram, Cage Rage Pod. You can follow it at Twitter, Cage underscore podcast. I got it right this time. And again, if you're listening on the YouTube channel, please consider dropping a like on the video, leaving a comment if you liked it, subscribing to the channel if you feel so inclined. You don't have to. I'm not going to force you. I'm not forcing anyone to do anything, but it would be nice. Helps the channel grow. Let's me know that you're out there and showing that support. And if you listen on Spotify, there's the big dick swinging one. Uh, If you heart an episode, click follow. That's really nice as well. Um, I try not to look at the analytics too much, but I'm going to end up obsessing about this when my... uh, my listenership inevitably decreases because that's how attention spans and human life works. So thank you for listening once again to Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. Still having a lot of fun watching these. Uh, next time I probably should drink, bring a glass of water with me because my throat is red raw because I've been talking for an hour straight. So will we learn the lessons? Will Nicholas Cage lose his shit in the next, next film? All these questions... And more to be answered next week. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. Uh, Bye!